Chapter Six of Mary Louise in the Country by L. Frank Baum, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Six, Afternoon Tea. Mary Louise, who possessed a strong sense of humor, that evening at dinner told Grandpa Jim of her encounter with Old Mister Cragg's granddaughter, and related their interview in so whimsical a manner that Colonel Hathaway laughed aloud more than once. But he also looked serious at times, and when the recital was ended, he gravely considered the situation and said. I believe, my dear, you have discovered a mine of human interest here that will keep you occupied all summer. It was most fortunate for the poor child that you interpreted her intent to run away from home and foiled it so cleverly. From the little girl's report, that grim and dignified grandsire of hers has another and less admirable side to his character, and unless she grossly exaggerates, has a temper so violent that he may do her mischief some day. I'm afraid of that too," declared Mary Louise. Especially as the child is so provoking, yet I'm sure Ingua has a sweeter side to her nature, if it can be developed, and perhaps Old Crag has too. Do you think, Grandpa Jim, it would be advisable for me to plead with him to treat his orphaned grandchild more considerately? Not at present, my dear. I'll make some inquiries concerning Crag, and when we know more about him, we can better judge how best to help Ingua. Are you sure that is her name? Yes. Isn't it an odd name? Somewhere," said the Colonel musingly, "I have heard it before, but just now I cannot recollect where. It seems to me, however, that it was a man's name. Do you think the child's mother is dead? I gathered from what Ingua and the storekeeper said that she has simply disappeared. An erratic sort of creature, from the vague reports you have heard," commented Grandpa Jim. But whatever her antecedents may have been, there is no reason why Ingua may not be rescued from her dreadful environments and be made to become quite a proper young lady, if not a model one. But that can only result from changing the existing character of her environment, rather than taking her out of them. That will be a big risk, Grandpa Jim, and it may prove beyond me. But I'll do the best I can. He smiled. These little attempts to help our fellows," said the Colonel. Not only afford us pleasure, but render us stronger and braver in facing our own tribulations, which none, however securely placed, seem able to evade. Mary Louise gave him a quick, sympathetic glance. He had surely been brave and strong during his own period of tribulation, and the girl felt she could rely on his aid in whatever sensible philanthropy she might undertake. She was glad, indeed, to have discovered poor Ingua, for she was too active and of too nervous a temperament to be content simply to rest all summer. Rest was good for Grandpa Jim just now, but rest, pure and simple, with no compensating interest, would soon drive Mary Louise frantic. She conferred with Aunt Polly the next day and told the faithful black servant something of her plans. So, when the old cook lugged a huge basket to the pavilion for her in the afternoon, and set a small table with snowy linen and bright silver, with an alcohol arrangement for making tea, she said with an air of mystery, "Don't you go and open that basket, Mary Louise." Till the time comes for eating, I just wants to surprise you, you and that little poor girl who gets hungry so much. So when Aunt Polly had gone back to the house, Mary Louise arranged her table and then stood up and waved a handkerchief to signal that all was ready. Soon Ingua appeared in her doorway, hesitated a moment, and then ran down the plank and advanced to the river bank instead of following the path to the bridge. Almost opposite the pavilion, Mary Louise noticed that several stones protruded from the surface of the water. They were not in a line, but placed irregularly. However, Ingua knew their lie perfectly and was able to step from one to another until she had quickly passed the water. Then she ran up the dry bed of the river to the bank, where steps led to the top. 
"'Why, this is fine!' exclaimed Mary Louise, meeting her little friend at the steps. "'I'd no idea one could cross the river in that way.' "'Oh, we've known about that always,' was the reply. "'Ned Jocelyn used to come to our house ever so many times by the river stones, to talk with old Swallertail, and Graddad used to come over here to this same summer-house and talk with Jocelyn.' Mary Louise noticed that the old gingham dress had been washed, ironed, and mended, all in a clumsy manner. Ingua's blonde hair had also been trained in awkward imitation of the way Mary Louise dressed her own brown locks. The child, observing her critical gaze, exclaimed with a laugh, "'Yes, I've slicked up some. No one'll see me but you, will they?' she added suspiciously. "'No, indeed. We're to be all alone. How do you feel to-day, Ingua?' "'The devils are gone. Grandad didn't spish in anything last night and never said a word.' He had one of his dreamy fits, and wrote letters till long after I went to bed. This morning he said his old Saul Jerems has raised the price of flour two cents, so I'll have to be careful. But that was all. No rumpus nor anything. That's nice, said Mary Louise, leading her arm in arm to the pavilion. Aren't you glad you didn't run away? Ingua did not reply. Her eyes, big and round, were taking in every detail of the table. Then they wandered to the big basket, and Mary Louise smiled and said, "'The table is set, as you see, but I don't know what we're going to have to eat. I asked Aunt Polly to put something in the basket, as I was going to have company, and I'm certain there'll be enough for two, whatever it's like. You see, this is a sort of surprise party, for we won't know what we've got until we unpack the basket.' Ingua nodded, much interested. "'You said tea,' she remarked, "'and I hain't tasted tea since Marm left us. But I suppose something goes with tea?' "'Always. Tea means a lunch, you know, and I'm very hungry because I didn't eat much luncheon at noon. I hope you are hungry, too, Ingua,' she added, opening the basket and beginning to place its contents upon the table. Ingua may have considered a reply unnecessary, for she made none. Her eyes were growing bigger every moment, for here were dainty sandwiches, cakes, jelly, a pot of marmalade, an assortment of cold meats, olives, Saratoga chips, and, last of all, a chicken pie still warm from the oven, one of those chicken pies that Aunt Polly could make as no one else ever made them. Even Mary Louise was surprised at the array of eatables. It was a veritable feast. But without comment she made the tea, the water being already boiling, and seating Ingua opposite her, at the table, she served the child as liberally as she dared, bearing in mind her sensitiveness to charity. But Ingua considered this a party— where, as a guest, she was entitled to all the good things, and she ate with a ravenous haste that was pitiful, trying all the while not to show how hungry she was, or how good everything tasted to her. Mary Louise didn't burden her with conversation during the meal, which she prolonged until the child positively could eat no more. Then she drew their chairs to a place where they had the best view of the river and woodland, with the old crag cottage marring the foreground, and said, "'Now we will have a good long talk together.' Ingua sighed deeply. "'Don't we have to do the dishes?' she asked. "'No. Aunt Polly will come for them by and by. All we have to do now is to enjoy your visit, which I hope you will repeat many times while I am living here.' Again the child sighed contentedly. "'I wish she was going to stay always,' she remarked. "'You folks is a sight nicer than that Jocelyn tribe. They kept us stirred up a good deal till Ned—' She stopped abruptly. "'What were the Jocelyns like?' inquired Mary Louise, in a casual tone that was meant to mask her curiosity. "'Well, that's hard to say,' answered Ingua thoughtfully. "'Old Miss Kenton were a good lady, and everybody liked her. But after she died, Anne Kenton come down here with a new husband, who were Ned Jocelyn, and then things began to happen. 
Ned was slick as a bandbox and wouldn't hobnob with nobody at first. But one day he got acquainted with old Swallertail, and they made up something wonderful. I guess other folks didn't know about their being so close, for they was sly about it generally. They'd meet in this summer house, or they'd meet at our house, crossing the river on the stepping stones. But when Ned came over to us, Grandad allus sent me out and said he'd skin me if I listened. But one day, no, I mustn't tell that, she said, checking herself quickly as a hard look came over her face. Why not? softly asked Mary Louise. "'Cause if I do, I'll get killed, that's why,' answered the child in a tone of conviction. Something in her manner startled her hearer. "'Who would kill you, Ingua?' she asked. "'Grandad would.' "'Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't do that, whatever you said.' "'You don't know Grandad, Mary Louise. He'd as leave kill me as look at me if I give him cause to.' "'And he has asked you not to talk about Mr. Jocelyn?' "'He told me to keep my mouth shut or he'd murder me and stick my body in a hole in the yard. And he'd do it in a minute, you can bank on that.' Then, said Mary Louise, looking troubled, I advise you not to say anything he has forbidden you to. And if anything ever happens to you while I'm here, I shall tell Grandpa Jim to have Mr. Cragg arrested and put in prison. Will ye? Will ye, honest? asked the girl eagerly. Say, that'll help a lot. If I'm killed, I know I'll be revenged. So tragic was her manner that Mary Louise could have laughed outright had she not felt there was a really serious foundation for Ingua's fears. There was something about the silent, cold-featured, mysterious old man that led her to believe he might be guilty of any crime. But after all, she reflected, she knew Mr. Cragg's character only from Ingua's description of it, and the child feared and hated him. "'What does your grandfather do in his office all day?' she inquired after a long pause. "'Writes letters and reads the ones he gets, I guess. He don't let me go to his office.' "'Does he get many letters, then?' "'Heaps and heaps of them. You ask Jim Bennett who brings the mail-bag over from the station every day.' Is Jim Bennett the postman? His wife is. Jim lugs the mail tween the station and his own house. That's the little white house next to the church. Where his wife, who's deaf and dumb, runs the post office. I know Jim. He says there's about six letters a year for the farmers round here, and about one a week for Saul Jerrams, which is mostly bills, and all the rest belongs to old Swallertail. Mary Louise was puzzled. Is he a business, then? she asked. Not as anybody knows of. But why does he receive and answer so many letters? You'll have to guess. I've guessed myself, but what's the use? If he was as stingy of postage stamps as he is of pork and oatmeal, he wouldn't send a letter a year. Mary Louise scented a mystery. Mysteries are delightful things to discover and fascinating to solve. But who would have thought this quiet, retired village harbored a mystery? Does your grandfather ever go away from here? Does he travel much? was her next question. He ain't never been out of Cragg's Crossing since I've known him. Really, said Mary Louise, it is perplexing. Ingua nodded. She was feeling quite happy after her lunch and had already counted Mary Louise a warm friend. She had never had a friend before, yet here was a girl of nearly her own age who was interested in her and her history, and sweetly sympathetic concerning her woes and worries. To such a friend, Ingua might confide anything, almost, and while she was not fully aware of that fact just now, she said impulsively, Without telling what had cost me my life, or letting anybody know what's become of Ned Jocelyn, I'll say they was money, lots of money, passed between him and old Swallertail. Sometimes the heap went to one and sometimes to the other. I seen it with my own eyes when Grandad didn't know I was spying. But it didn't stick to either one, for Ned was— She stopped short and then continued more slowly. When Ned disappeared, he'd spent all his own and his wife's money, and old Swallertail ain't got enough to live decent. 
Are you sure of that, Ingua? No, I ain't sure of nothing. But he don't spend no money, does he? For stamps, Mary Louise reminded her. Then the child grew silent and thoughtful again. Mary Louise, watching the changing expressions on her face, was convinced she knew more of the mystery than she dared to confide to her new friend. There was no use trying to force her confidence, however. In her childish way, she was both shrewd and stubborn, and any such attempt would be doomed to failure. But after a quite a period of silence, Mary Louise asked gently, Did you like Mr. Jocelyn Ingua? Sometimes, only when. Another self interruption. She seemed often on the point of saying something her better judgment warned her not to. Sometimes Ned were mighty good to me. Sometimes he brought me candy when things were going good with him. Once, Mary Louise, he kissed me and never wiped his mouth off afterwards. Yes, I liked Ned, except in when. Another break. I thought Ned was a pretty decent gink. Where did you learn all your slang, dear? What slang? Calling a man a gink and words like that. Oh, ma'am was full of them words, she replied with an air of pride. They seem to suit things better than common words, don't you think so, Mary Louise? Sometimes, with an indulgent smile. But ladies do not use them, Ingua, because they soil the purity of our language. Well, said the girl, it'll be a long time yet, for I'm a lady, so I guess I'll talk like Mom did. Mom weren't a real lady to my mind, though she claimed she'd so anybody that said she wasn't. Real ladies don't leave their kids in the clutches of old swaller tails. Mary Louise did not think it wise to criticize the unknown Mrs. Scammell, or to allow the woman's small daughter to do so. So she changed the subject to a more pleasant and interesting topics, and the afternoon more speedily away. Finally, Ingua jumped up and said, I gotta go. If Grandad don't find supper ready, there'll be another rumpus, and I've been so happy today that I want to keep things pleasant like. Won't you take the rest of these cakes with you? urged Mary Louise. Nope, I'll eat one more on my way home, but I ain't one of them tramps who wants food pushed at him in a bundle. We ain't got much to home, but what we got's ours. A queer sort of mistaken pride, Mary Louise reflected, as she watched the girl spring lightly over the stepping stones and run up the opposite bank. Evidently, Ingua considered old Mr. Cragg her natural guardian, and would accept nothing from others that he failed to provide her with. Yet, to judge from her speech, she detested her grandfather and regarded him with unspeakable aversion. End of chapter six. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.